I'm Ashley. I'm Kieran. And you're listening to the Absolutely No Filter Podcast. The podcast for anybody who likes to keep it real. The Absolutely No Filter Podcast, a totally candid experience for anyone who likes to keep it real. Your hosts are Karen and Ashley, and they lay it all out in line for you. Zero F's given. No matter if you are 20-something or 50-something, they've got something for you. Join them as they outlandishly explore everyday wonders, curiosities, and dilemmas. Hey guys, welcome. So, it's episode five. <laughs> <laughs> Woohoo! So we're really excited because we have a special guest today. She's an old, old friend of mine from high school who, in my opinion, is just so impressive and made it big and is doing a documentary. So we're really excited for her to come on today. Her yeah. name is Benita, which you'll meet. Yeah, I'm really excited to have her. Um, I've known of her my whole life, and um, she's going to be sharing about her experience with a liar, criminal, cheater. I don't even know. Is that accurate? <laughs> that is accurate. Um, and, and it's kind of like a mix of romance and crime and uh, just like – all of my favorite things. <laughs> That's right. You're not going to believe it when you hear her story. It is so incredible. And of all the the crazy stories you've heard about romances gone bad and, you know, what is that, catfish and stuff like that where people aren't who they say they are. This is all of it wrapped into one. This is like beyond your imagination. If you've listened to the uh, Dirty John podcast. I have not. Um, it, I guess it would be along the same lines, same type of deal. So um, listeners, if you've listened to the Dirty John podcast, you kind of are going to get a somewhat of an idea of of who we're dealing with. So what is that like, The po- those podcasts? So I'm a big true crime fan. Ooh. Oh, wait. I think our guest is here. Hi, this is Benita. Hi. Hi. There she is. Hi. <laughs> Welcome, Benita. Welcome. Thank you. Are we on? Thanks so are we much. on already? Yes, we are. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to tell everybody about your story. So we've we've done a little bit of, you know, letting them know that you're going to be on, but we haven't told them too much. So Okay. Um, so we have Benita Alexander here with us, and she is a – wonderful and experienced journalist and producer, producer and has had many Emmy Awards. And yeah, she's pretty badass. Yeah, you're just a <laughs> badass chick. And I just wanted to go ahead and let you kind of share what's most important about you. What's your – give us a little bio in Benita's, Benita's words. Well, first of all, Karen is one of, one of my best friends. I've known her since high school and – She's amazing, and Ashley, you're, as you well know, you have an incredible aunt and friend there. Thank um, you. I'm, I'm very proud of her for hosting <laughs> this show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, um, I'm a single mom. I have a beautiful 14-year-old daughter. I live in New York, and I'm a journalist. been a journalist for a long time, and I had this crazy thing happen to me, which I have turned into a film called He Lied About Everything, which is a completely true story and is, uh, well, just kind of crazy. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe it. <laughs> it's hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. So take us to the very beginning. L- let us know wh- what, what's, what started all of this. How did you meet him? 
give us the background. So I was doing a story about him. This is a world-renowned surgeon who was literally doing something that nobody else in the world was doing. He was, I mean, they sort of joke, they call it Dr. Frankenstein stuff. He was putting uh, windpipes or um, tracheas into people that were literally made in the lab, made out of the same plastic that's used to make soda bottles. And so he was... Creating, <laughs> creating these windpipes in the lab, and then he would use the patient's own stem cells to sort of cover it, um, the, the, the trachea, the plastic trachea, and then he was implanting these, and the idea was that this thing would sort of magically grow into the person's body, and this was huge, and this was groundbreaking, pioneering, and it would have, if it worked, the, it would cure the huge problem of, you know, we have a massive organ donor problem shortage in our in our country and in the world. I mean, there just, there just aren't enough donor organs for the people who need them. And the idea that we could actually grow organs in the lab is exciting and groundbreaking and everything you want it to be. And he was on the forefront of that. And so he was... He had been lauded by people all over the world. His work had been covered by people all over the world. He was vouched for by some of the world's top scientists and doctors. He worked at the place that gives the Nobel Prize in medicine. And he, you know, he was brilliant. And then on top of it, he was just this incredibly charming man. and Gorgeous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I do and say he, so. <laughs> when I met him... Um, you know, something happened, nothing happened between us for a while, but the first time I met him, and I talk about it in the film, it was, I, I've never believed in love at first sight before, but something literally happened the first time our, our eyes locked. It was mm. just like fireworks went off and my stomach flipped, and there was like this instant connection, and he was just like dream man. I mean, he was, I mean, if you made a checklist of all the things you'd want a man to be, he was it. He was he was intelligent. He was worldly. He was sophisticated. He was seemed to be humble and altruistic. He was romantic. He was spontaneous. He was loving. You know, generous, caring. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There was nothing, and I, I'm not kidding you. Nothing he didn't do right. And he kind True. of looked like George Clooney. Where do yeah. we get Karen one of those? All right. Does he have a brother? That's what I always used to think. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, so you... he really did. I mean, he seemed like he seemed like my modern day Prince Charming. And then on top of it, he just promised. I mean, he treated me like a princess, um, and you know, did just incredible things. Flew me all over the world. These incredibly romantic trips and surprises. He was always surprising me and. Every surprise is more overtop than the last one. He seemed to be incredibly caring with my daughter, and um, my friends loved him. He would cook these elaborate home-cooked meals for my friends or take <laughs> big groups of them out to dinner. Um, he didn't know. I loved to salsa dance, and he was always apologizing when I first met him that he didn't know how to salsa dance. And then he went and learned how to salsa dance. He told me he took lessons for three hours a day in Russia where he was working part-time um, to learn how to wow. salsa dance with me. And my friends were just blown away. And everybody was like, can you find me one? Who is this guy? And, you know, <laughs> right. like Karen said, does he have a brother? Or, you know, everybody was jealous, I think, and envious. And everybody, a lot of people told me that we had <laughs> renewed their faith and love again. That, you know, like if this, if I could find this, then maybe it's possible for me. I mean, he, he charmed everybody so was it like i was a, jealous for the record was it like a zero to a hundred 
What's that, I mean, Ashley? Who wouldn't be jealous? Right, right. <laughs> he was the perfect guy, no doubt. I met him. I spent time with him. And he was an amazing guy. You never would have known there was anything different about him, except for that he had about five phones. And his reason was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing that sort of was like, oh, yeah, I should have noticed that. Well, I guess we should say what happened before we talk about all yeah. that. Yeah. So, so it went from like a zero to a hundred. It was a whirlwind romance, would you say? Mm-hmm. How yeah, long? Though, but how long? I mean, he completely swept me off my feet. What was that? How long were you guys together? I, I meant to ask. Um, just under two years. Oh, so but that's a long you know, time. From, from when I, it was two years from when I met him until when everything fell apart. Right. So lead us into, you know, everything was wonderful, extravagant, romantic, all these things, you feel like you're getting to know him on the deepest of levels. And then what happened? Well, we got engaged and he told me that he wanted to, I was, I had just started a new job and I was really busy and he wanted to get married in Italy and that's where he's from. And he told me he wanted to surprise me with everything. And that too seemed like such a romantic gesture. He said, look, all I want you to do is find your dress and show up looking beautiful. I'm going to take care of everything else. And even my friends thought that was so incredibly romantic. And I, because I'm a producer and very much an admitted control freak, <laughs> I, I had a really hard time with that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't know how to let go. And my friends all counseled me. They're like, you know, Benita, for once in your life, let somebody do things for you. And they, they had all seen the kind of surprises that he pulled off and, they're like, you know he has good taste. You know he's going to do this right. Just let him do it. And I didn't realize at the time what a perfect setup that was because I basically just, like, shut down all my journalistic, innate journalistic instincts, and I stopped asking questions because he told me, don't ask any questions. Everything's a surprise. And every time I wanted to ask something, I kind of had to force myself not to because he had made me promise to let him surprise me. Um, so, I mean, I knew some things, but the bulk of it was supposed to be this big surprise. And he wanted to, he was very insistent on having a Catholic wedding. I'm not Catholic and I'm divorced and he was supposedly divorced and the Catholic church doesn't marry divorcees. And so he spent all this time, he said, trying to find a priest that would marry us and he was having trouble. And so then I I was, I said, what are we going to do? And he said, well, I'm going to go and talk to my contacts, quote unquote, at the Vatican. And he had friends, the popes. Well, no, it was, but what happened was he had told me that he had, he had done some work for the Vatican when Pope John Paul II was dying, um, I think it was in 2005, I'm forgetting the exact year, and that made sense because he was, he was one of the top thoracic surgeons in the world, and I knew that that pope had, had, or had, they had talked about giving that pope a tracheotomy, so it actually made sense that he, and he's in Italy, that he would have been called to consult, and I even saw a letter where another doctor bragged about how Paolo had helped the pope, so okay, so then he says he's going to go to the Vatican, he's just going to ask them to find a, if they can help find a priest, you know, that will marry us, and, which all made sense, and then he called me, and he said, you're not going to believe this, but Pope Francis offered to marry us himself. And oh my I started laughing. I'm like, give me a break. Come on. Like, you know, like, does the Pope even marry people? Like, you know, and I basically hung up the phone on him and <laughs> I went to, I didn't believe him. And I went to my computer, but I, when I went to my computer that I found out the Pope had just married 20 couples. And so I'm like, okay, the Pope does do weddings, but still it was insane. I'm like, why would he want to marry us? You know, like, I don't get it. But what he told me, and it was, it was believable at the time. He said that he had become the Pope's 
private personal doctor because of the work he had done for the Vatican, and he said the Pope wanted to thank him for being his private personal doctor. And, I mean, I have texts that show all this and everything that you see in the film, and that the Pope also wanted to use us as kind of a the poster couple, you know, for this forward-thinking effort to move the church out of old traditions, which fit. I mean, we're not talking about any pope. We're talking about Pope Francis, and he was trying to open the open doors to divorcees and gays and everything else. So it kind of fit, even though it seemed ridiculous. It took me a little while to to sort of wrap my head around it, but he told everybody this. I mean, he sat in front of my friends. He sat in front of this person, that person, and he was so humble when he told the story and so so sort of methodical about it that it just was like, okay. And so all of a sudden now we have this big, crazy secret wedding. All these VIPs are coming, partly because of the work Paulo said he did and partly because the Pope is marrying us. But it was all cloaked under the utmost secrecy because it was so controversial. Obviously, you know, the Pope actually marrying two divorcees was going to be, I mean, you're talking about history making. So nobody could talk about it. It was all top secret. Everything had to be, you know, hush, hush, hush. He said the Vatican wasn't even going to announce it until the day before our wedding. Um, I had my dress designer sign an, an NDA, the people that made our invitation sign NDAs. I mean, it was like this big clandestine top secret thing, and it was it just grew into this crazy thing. We And, and I mean, our invitations were going to people like the Clintons and President Obama and all kinds of celebrities like John Legend and Elton I don't John. Even remember who else Elton John. Yeah, Elton John. Yeah. <laughs> and and even though if you just hear it like that it sounds crazy, it just it fits. It was such a slow, methodical build up to this whole thing. I mean Karen can jump in here that yeah. it it he made it incredibly believable. And I think the other part about it was again, you're talking about a world renowned surgeon who works at the place that gives the Nobel Prize in medicine, who is vouched for by literally the world's smartest top scientists and doctors. So it was like, why would this man lie? Like, why would he make any of this up? So even though you kind of went, wow, this is nuts, <laughs> on, you know, just in the scheme of it, it was just, it didn't make sense that he would lie. It just didn't make sense. So you just went, okay, you know, like, why would, why in the hell would he make any of this up? It has to be, it has to be real. So yeah, he was we- believable. Can we back up for one second? Just because I just got married, <laughs> I have two questions for you. Uh, number yeah. one, what did he do to propose? Was it a big elaborate proposal or? No, actually not at all. It's it's in the film. It was actually very sweet, very touching. It was just like it was um, our first Christmas together and it was just me, Paolo, and my daughter. And we were opening presents and he handed me one and he said, this one's special. And I actually have the whole thing on video. You'll see it in the film, and oh it was gosh. just, you know, mm-hmm. at home, casual I keep clothes getting on chills. the couch, and yeah, and it was—it's very sweet. I mean, you see it on the in the in the film. I just—I couldn't even talk when I opened the box, and it was just—it was very simple. And you know, that's the thing. He spent so much time at home with us, and it wasn't all these, you know, over-the-top, lavish, flying around the world, you know, jet-setting vacations. A lot of it was just real simple, down-to-earth. You know, sitting at home playing cards with me and my daughter and cooking us meals and, you know, it was very real. Very real. What was your other question? So who made the dress? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Matthew Christopher, who I absolutely adore. And what happened was when he he told me the Pope was marrying us, I had already picked out a dress. And then I started to freak out because I thought, number one, it's not special enough for the Pope. And number two, it's 
too sexy for them. For them. <laughs> um, I'm like, I can't wear this. So I kind of panicked, and I asked um, uh, at the dress shop where I had bought the dress. I love the dress I have, and it was made by this designer, Matthew Christopher, who I'd never heard of, and I asked her if she could get in touch with him. And so she set up a meeting with him, and I met with him, and I absolutely fell in love with him when I met him. He... I mean, his whole story is great. He grew up on a pig farm in Iowa, and, like, instead of going out doing the pigs, he used to, like, sneak into his room and sketch dresses. <laughs> and That's awesome. Now he has become, like, this up-and-coming couture designer in New York, and he's, like, the sweetest guy. And he, so, you know, he said he would make the dress, and he they got so caught up in this thing. And that's that's the really crazy thing about this is how many other people got got screwed in this thing, really. Um Including me. Amazing. He's the, yeah, kidding. everybody, all my friends, my family, and everybody. But, well, yeah. one, of, so one he of the made, things... And he was making me not just one dress, by the way, because Paolo kept adding things. It was like <sighs> we had this big VIP event that, that the President Obama was going to be hosting for us like two nights before the wedding. There was this big lavish cocktail party the night before <laughs> oh the wedding. Ellen's even intrigued things. here. So Matthew was making me four dresses. <laughs> oh I mean, I, you're talking $30,000 worth of dresses. Oh, shit. Wow. That I paid for, I might add. Oh, right. Because he was going to, quote, unquote, pay me back. That's right. So one of the things that I remember during all of that is you were starting to feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were starting to feel overwhelmed by the bigness of it all, even Absolutely. though it was exciting. Absolutely. I mean, it was, look, don't get me wrong. I mean, even going back to the vacations, I mean, it was wonderful to be swept up in this kind of literally fairy tale romance but it was this thing was becoming so overwhelming and i am not somebody that likes that kind of attention i never have and i didn't need it i i mean the crazy part about the whole story is i didn't even need to get married again much less get married by the freaking pope you know i mean right, and right. all these vips i mean it was turning into this like massive event and it wasn't it just didn't even feel like it was about us anymore and there was one very telling moment where I, I kind of had a almost a nervous breakdown and I was in tears. We were in Chicago. He was at, speaking at a conference there and he gets down, you know, by the side of the bed. I'm in, I'm in the hotel room in, in the bed in tears. And I said, I can't, I can't handle this. It's too much for me. And he kneels next to me on the bed. He's holding my hand and stroking my hand. And he's like, look, listen, my love, they called me my love. If this is too much for you, I'm going to call everything off. You know, <laughs> we'll, let's just, we'll fly to Vegas tomorrow and get married. We'll just, I'm going to call the whole thing off. And he was so convincing and he made me feel like, you know, now it was my decision, right? And at that point, we were so far into this thing and I had convinced myself that somehow by virtue of being with him, I had been chosen, you know, to help it didn't matter to me, get, you know, getting married in, by the Pope in a Catholic church, but I know that mattered to a whole lot of, you know, other people who are Catholic and who would like the church to open its doors. So I thought I had been put in this role that it was my responsibility. And I said, no, 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 it's okay, I'll get over it, you know, I'll, you know, oh, wow. I'll deal with it. You know, so manipulative, you know. <laughs> I know you're laughing, it's, it's funny now. <laughs> no, it is funny now, but boy, I remember some moments, I tell you. And, you know, he just was. He was so convincing and so loving and so good at omelet making. And I would walk around. I walked around the block. Omelet making. Oh, you're about <laughs> that. He made you this crazy omelet. Oh, he made me the best omelet. <laughs> That's the way to her heart. <laughs> I'm omelet telling you, I was in love with him. I was willing to share, really. <laughs> She's like, if you could just make my omelet. You know, funny. Like, my, my male friends even, like my hairdresser talks about in the film. He's like, I fell in love with him the moment I met him. You know, I mean... 
he was he was incredibly charming, incredibly charming. Yeah, he was great. I mean, I, I even remember how it all fell apart. <laughs> was it? I guess we should get to how it all fell apart when you're ready. Oh well, yeah, we could talk about that. Yeah, let's. <laughs> I talk was enjoying about that. the romance a little bit. I was baking <laughs> in the romance. romance. You know, this reminds me <laughs> totally of of Dirty John, though. You know that podcast that. Yeah, uh, I've like, heard about that. I haven't actually listened to it yet, but um, a lot of people have mentioned that to me. Yeah, um, you should take a listen. Yeah. <laughs> Ashley's a big fan of the true crimes. Yes. So. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why it, it works so well for Discovery, um, and that's where the film is going to air is on Investigation Discovery. So. All right. So. But, yeah, he, and he took it. The thing, that's a crazy thing, too. He took it so far. So this this lavish wedding is happening, literally like the wedding of the century, right? And people... People, I mean, people bought plane tickets, people booked hotels, people bought, you know, really expensive red carpet gowns and, and tuxes because this was going to be such a big event. And I, I mean, I can't even tell you the lengths that he went to. I gave him, he made me get social security numbers and passport numbers for people that, um, because there was going to be all this security and it was all top secret. And I gave him all that information. Oh, that's right. I forgot um, about that. Wow. Yeah, I mean, oh, wow. the thing with the, and the level, the level of detail. I mean, and he spent hours. I mean, hours and hours working on seating charts with me. And our just, we had this insanely elaborate wedding dance. It was going to be four different dances that told our love story. That he was, you know, he was picking the music. We were supposed to fly to Russia and spend <laughs> ten days like. dancing with his dance instructor in, you know, like dancing with the stars, like mm-hmm. learning this wedding dance and. I mean, you should see the text I have. I mean, just like down to the littlest detail about the wine and the food and all these secret meetings with them, planning meetings with the Swiss Guard and, you know, secret service of all these different countries because there were, you know, there were dignitaries and VIPs coming from countries all over the world. I mean, it, it was insane, the level of detail that went into this and the time that went into this thing. And, you know, he, he, he let it go that far, you know, and he knew what I was paying on the dresses and, and everything, and then, and then the worst part was I quit my job. You know, I had been working at NBC for 17 years, and I quit my job because he told us we were moving to Barcelona. He had a house in Barcelona. He let me pull my daughter out of her private school. He sat in front of my daughter and talked to her about the private school he had enrolled her in in Barcelona. And, and so I was giving up everything. You know, I was giving up everything for this man, and I thought we were moving to Spain. And so I quit my job. He let me quit my job. He took it that far. And this was about six weeks or so before our wedding. And the the straw that finally broke everything was we had started fighting a lot towards the end because every time we were supposed to go to his house in Barcelona, the trip got canceled at the last minute. He always he had an emergency surgery all the time. And I, I was... I was like, this is a deal breaker. I mean, who marries a man without seeing the house where they're going to live? Or And I haven't met his children. He he had told me he was separated from his wife when I first met him, and he had two kids who were r- roughly close to 20. And then he told me that he, he filed for divorce from her, and the divorce went through, and the kids were supposed to be coming to the wedding, but I hadn't met them. And at first I was really tolerant of that because I come from a really bitter divorce family myself. I had been divorced. I, you know, I get how touchy that is, and I didn't want to push them. But towards the end, I'm like, come on. Like, I need to, I'm not meeting your kids at the wedding, you know, and I'm not just going to pack a bag and show up at my house that I've never <laughs> seen before. 
Um, but he kept, one time the trip got canceled literally when I was at the airport. You know, that's how far he would take it. And we were fighting about that a lot, and I was starting to feel uneasy. And then I got an email literally, literally the day after I left my job. So my first day unemployed, the first day of what's supposed to be my new life, I get an email from a colleague that says the Pope is going to be in Latin America on the date of our wedding. And in, in that moment, you know, it, took my head a long time to catch up with it but in that moment I knew you know it was just like somebody punched me in the gut I just knew the whole thing was a a lie Um, I felt sick but it took a while after that to unravel everything I mean he denied everything he he came up with some story which actually sounded legit about how it was all internal Vatican politics because of how controversial this whole thing was with the you know and not everybody in the Vatican agreed with the Pope marrying two divorcees and he kept towing the line. He kept trying to, you know, pull the pull the lie on. But I, I didn't believe him, you know. And then I started just going through my head all the things that didn't make sense. And I demanded that he fly to New York and look me in the eye, you know, and tell me that everything was okay because I just didn't believe him. And that was the most the strangest encounter of my life. I mean, he mm-hmm. he walked in my door and I started screaming. At that morning, I made some phone calls with a friend and. You know, like the castle, he told me he'd rented out a castle which for all our guests to stay in, which everybody was thrilled about. And yeah, we, we called excited. the castle, and they never heard his freaking name. They never heard my name. They didn't know anything about any damn wedding. And Oh, my God. So, well, yeah, I felt sick. And he walks in the door, and I start screaming at him. I'm like a crazy person. I'm like, what the <laughs> hell's going on? Nobody knows a damn thing about our wedding. And he was calm as can be, unflappable, you know, just like, didn't budge, calm down. He kept saying to me, calm down, my love. I'm like, I'm not fucking going to calm down. <laughs> and he, he, uh, no. and, but then he looks at me and he's like, of course that's what they said. Are you forgetting how top secret this is and how controversial and clandestine this is all? You know, everybody has signed agreements. They're not allowed to talk. So, of course, you, you who, they don't know who you are. You're calling from the U.S. Of course they're going to tell you they don't know anything. You know, you have to remember that the Pope's safety is at risk here. And for a moment I thought, mm, okay, this kind of makes sense, right? You know, I mean, that's plausible. But then I wouldn't, my, you know, now my journalistic gut had kicked back in. Like, I woke up out of my love haze, and I just kept mm-hmm. firing questions at him. And he was starting to get pissed off. And he finally, he gets really quiet and he's like, I have to tell you something. And I'm thinking, okay, what the hell is he about to say? Right. And he, you know, very serious, very quiet. And he's like, look, you're asking me too many questions. I'm not even supposed to tell you this, but now you give me no choice. (laughs) Then I, I just have to tell you. And I'm like, and he, he had told me he was part of this secret network of doctors that like cater to the world's VIPs. This is how he was the Pope's private doctor, right? Right. So he says, remember that secret network of doctors? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, yeah, I forgot about that, right? And he said, remember that secret network of doctors? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, well, it's a lot more than I told you about. It's run by the CIA. Uh, You know, I'm a a secret operative. And I'm thinking, what the hell? There's the line. I'm listening, (laughs) but then it gets better. And I'm like, give me a fucking break, you know? And and he's like, I'm protected by the, the CIA, and I'm not supposed to be talking to you about this, and even my wife and my kids don't know about this. And, and then he says, and there's something else. And, you know, by this point, I'm like, okay, this man's either crazy or delusional or something. <laughs> but, and he looks at me and he says, I, I, I'm, I'm not just a doctor, I'm a trained sniper. Oh, my God. I didn't know he said that. <laughs> oh, you didn't? Oh, no, that was a good yeah. one. <laughs> and I'm like, all right. So I... You know, I started laughing, and I'm like, come on, like, like, cut it out, you know, this is stupid, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't budge, and so mm. 
that's when I knew, you know, that's when I knew for sure, okay, game's over. And I was, I, I even said to him in that conversation, I'm like, you know, are you sick? Do you need help? Should we take you to a psychiatrist? I wasn't even angry at that point. I just was really worried, you know, and, but he wouldn't. And all weekend I kept, I had to spend two days with him and I kept firing questions at him all weekend and he just wouldn't budge. He just kept sticking sticking to the story and insisting we were still getting married by the Pope. And so the second he left my house, I called a private investigator. And that's when it all, you know, then I very quickly canceled the wedding and I started investigating and my private investigator started investigating. And basically we found out that absolutely nothing was true. Like he literally lied about freaking everything. I mean, there never was going to be a wedding. Nothing was ever booked for the wedding I found out later that he never actually got divorced, so he never could have legally married me in the first place. The whole thing was like a big fantasy. And he was, you know, <laughs> he was what? He was going to let us all fly to Italy and, you know, like, what the hell? What was his end game? you know? Um, that has been crazy. my question all along. What's the end game? We yes. all show up. What's, what's going to happen? Well, and that's probably one of the number one questions I get asked is just, it's, you know, it's people are incredulous. Like, seriously, what was his plan? What was his end game? Like, at some point, right? I mean, I found out then, and I once I put my journalist hat back on, I unraveled it all, but had I not, like, how the hell did he think this was going to work? It had to, it had to blow up, but I don't know. I don't know that he had a plan. I kind of think he was just flying by the seat of his pants. I think that's what these really adept pathological liars do. Or I think he just always finds a way out of everything, you know, he or had until until he met he met me. <laughs> <laughs> he met his match. <laughs> Bitches. But I think he would have he would have done something like at the last minute he would have been like, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. You know, there's a security threat or you know, because we had all these you know, presidents and stuff coming and he would have come up with something like that that made it impossible, you know. I, I just think he you know, I don't know, but that's that's the best guess I can come up with. Um Do you think he believed his stories because sometimes i feel like he just believed it yeah well that's another really interesting question that i get asked a lot i mean i'm not obviously a psychologist i've talked to a lot of experts about it and you know nobody can diagnose him because you know from afar you don't really know what's going on other than at a bare minimum at a bare minimum he's a narcissistic pathological liar but maybe yeah to some extent what experts have told me is it's it's probable that he does it to some extent believe his own lies or get so caught up in them that he, in the fantasy that he doesn't, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know. You know, the one thing I do know is that I don't think he has any idea of what he's done and what he's doing or how badly he's hurting people. It's like, there's just this disconnect between cause and effect in his brain or something. He just, they don't. He doesn't have the kind of empathy and remorse and guilt and all those things that most of us have that, you know, either stop us or make us feel bad when we do something like that. It's like it's just not there. Right. Wow, that's so insane. Wow. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, you're you're a very smart, educated, you know, strong, independent woman. I mean, if he can, if someone like that can pull something off on someone like you, <laughs> there's. What are the chances well, for the rest of us? There's not a lot of yeah, hope for the rest I, of us. I think that's. I think what's important to remember. I mean, so there's there's really two parts of the story, right? There's what happened to me, and then very quickly, you know, after I started unraveling everything, and I, I mean, I, I, 
I went to his house in Barcelona and found a whole nother family living in the house that I was supposed to be moving into. So, you know, I don't know how many women and families there are, but I, you know, I know of at least, at least five. He told me he has two kids. I know of at least five now. I know of at least three other women other than me. Um, Have you connected with any of the women? Um, I have, but I'm, I am, have chosen to keep, you know, their stories private, particularly because they have children. And I feel very strongly Mm -hmm. as a mother that they're not the ones who are at fault here. You know, they, they deserve to have their privacy respected. Um, you know, he's the one that's, that's lying and screwing with everybody's lives. Um, and the thing is, it goes so far beyond this because it almost immediately, I alarm bells went off because it's like, okay, wait a minute. This guy is a world famous doctor who has people's lives in his hands. And I, if he's lying to me like this, there's no way, right? He's not lying in his medical life. And I didn't have proof of it, but I just immediately knew that I had to do something. I mean, I felt personally responsible. Like, I have to speak up. I have to tell my story because if he could, people's lives could be in danger. And what I ended up finding out is, really horrifying. I mean, the whole, the film is two hours and the first part of the film is sort of my whole, you know, in great detail, the romance and the personal story and uncovering what happened. And then the second part is me. I traveled all over the world. Um, and I talked to doctors and scientists and some of his patients, um, family members, patients who have died. And the medical part of it is just horrifying. I mean, after, after my whole thing with him, Um, After I first went public, um, I did a magazine story, and then there was a documentary that came out in Sweden about his lies in the medical arena, and it was this very quick domino effect. I mean, he was fired from the place that gives the Nobel Prize in medicine. He was, they started investigating him for manslaughter. All kinds of people stepped down in shame or were fired. People on the Nobel Prize Committee stepped down and were fired. I mean, he literally fooled some of the world's top doctors and scientists. And that's the thing. He fooled some incredibly smart people. And that's what, that's what's so frightening about this, right? That's what these pathological liars are capable of doing. Yeah, and, and he was top The worst part for me is his patience, you know. And what ultimately came out and what you see in the film is that, so he was doing this groundbreaking pioneering surgery and, you know, we need people like that in medicine. You need people that are going to break barriers and, and do risky things. Otherwise, science never moves forward, right? And he always hid behind that. But if you are going to do experimental surgery, you're supposed to have some kind of science behind it to back it up, which he always said he did. Well, what came out was that he was putting these plastic tracheas into people's throats, and he had never done, never put one of them into an animal. He hadn't done any animal experiments. None. So he was literally, literally using people as human guinea pigs. Wow. How did nobody else else know about that, though? That's what I always wonder. Well, that's one one of the really interesting questions, and that's one of the things about him pulling the wool over so many people's eyes, and that's the reason, you know, people step down in shame, because he... He's so convincing, you know, just like he convinced me. He convinced people that he had done all the work he was supposed to do, you know, and he lied about it, and people didn't question him, you know, the same way I didn't question him because you, you know, you wouldn't think this guy would lie, but he was, and so he he hadn't done the experiments. He didn't have the science to back it up, and that's the part 
of this whole story that's so horrifying to me. And that's the reason I decided to make this film and the reason I, I felt so obligated to speak up because, you know, he has people's lives in his hands. And, I mean, it's scary. Well, Benita, as your friend and as a fellow woman, I have to tell you, I'm so proud of you because I know what you went through and I know what this cost you. All of this from the beginning of meeting him through going through this movie and, and producing it and li- reliving it. And this girl's a badass, you guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, seriously, yeah. she is so strong. You. you have thank no idea. You. Thank you. I mean, I, I, don't always pe- I don't always feel so strong or brave. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I've had people say that to me. And that was one of the nice things, actually, one of the rewarding things about making the film was meeting these scientists and doctors and all of them said to me, you're so courageous and you're so brave. And they thanked me for telling my story because the medical part of it and the scientific part of it is kind of murky. And I think it's a little easier to get lost in it. And, but my story is so black and white, right? He, he said this, it wasn't true. And when people learned about the personal lies, it just became so apparent to them that he was, you know, a liar. And so they were really grateful for to me for coming forward. And it was, that was really nice to hear, um, but, you know, I sort of joke all the time. I'm like, yeah, but you know what? Being brave sucks. It's hard. <laughs> um, and I have to tell you, it's, you know, there's nothing fun about doing this and exposing myself like this. I mean, you, you will see in the film, I am just, it's like you, I, if I had a zipper on me, it's just like you just ripped open the zipper and I just came spilling out. Like, it's, <laughs> it's raw and it's, Nothing's held back, you know, it's raw emotion, and it's, you know, it, it's, what happened is embarrassing in many ways. It's humiliating. I mean, I'm an investigative journalist. I shouldn't have fallen for this, I, but I did. And that speaks to the power of these manipulative liars. I mean, it's sort of like Bernie Madoff. You know, look what he did. He managed to fool some really smart people. I mean, this right. is what they do. And that's why, even though it's painful and embarrassing, it's not fun to expose myself like this at all you know and it would have been much easier for me to just close the door and pick myself up off the ground and you know try to move on with my life but I I just can't do that I couldn't do that so you know hopefully um this makes a difference I mean that's that's and that's the reason I'm doing it so I have a question (laughs) and in all those two years do you do you look back and think that you had intuition about any of this previously? Sure. Um, I think, you know, there were certainly things that were nagging at my gut. Um, not enough to come to this conclusion that, you know, he was this egregious liar, but there were things that didn't add up and or that bothered me, and I pushed them aside or dismissed them um, it, I, because I was in love. I thought he was the rest of my life. And I think I just didn't want to see some things. But also, he was very, very good at, um, I call it the, the cloud of, you know, fog or something. Because he was, if I would ask him something, if something didn't add up, he was so good at, at convincing you, right? And making you think that kind of like you're the one who was crazy, like, <laughs> oh, okay, no, like, you know. He's so good at it. And that's part of the psychological manipulation that's really pretty twisted. Um, but, yeah, there were, there were some things that just bothered me that, you know, and those things increased towards the end, but not enough for me to, to, to go, oh, yeah, this man's a liar, you know. Um, 
So it's hard, like people have asked me what advice would I give, and that's a really difficult one, but I, I would say that if there are things nagging at your gut, you know, at least ask questions and at least look into it and try to kind of think with your brain and not your heart. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> yeah, because usually our intuition knows, right. even when we don't yeah. know. You, you said something exactly. at the beginning. I wrote it down. You said, I went against my instincts, my natural journalistic instincts, when he said he was planning the wedding. And, yep. and that's a very profound statement. When we go against our instincts, our true nature, it it, it it's not necessarily the best choice sometimes. That's that, that's uh, that's actually a very good point. Um, and it, the, the irony of that is that I struggled so much with it, right? I had to really talk myself into doing this. But, I, yeah, I hadn't thought about that before. That's actually a really valuable lesson, you know, that you – and I think as women, we do, right? We all have that, that sort of intuitive thing in our gut. And we're, uh, a lot of the mistakes that we make in life are because we ignore that or, you know, try to pretend we, we don't notice it or whatever. Right. Um, and then when you go back and play the whole thing in your head, you, you, you did know, you know, there was something there that didn't feel right. Sure. Right. And just mm-hmm. trusting yourself. Would you say that was the biggest lesson you learned or? Which? That? Um, no, just trusting yourself. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one of them. Yeah. Um So so where do you go from here? Where what's next for you? You know, make making the film was is is was really important to me in order to expose him. I mean, I just as I said, I just feel this personal obligation to expose him and it's that's all it's about. I mean, I just want people to know who he really is and, you know, whatever happens beyond that is whatever's going to happen and but at least if I can use my story to tell the truth. And I sometimes I wonder if, you know, if you want to make any sense out of this whole mess, or if there's any rhyme or reason to why it did happen, it's because I can do it, right? I, I am a journalist, and once I woke up out of my love phase and, <laughs> and you know, put my journalist hat back on, I am, you know, I You're am capable of, of using my story to, you know, to expose him. Right, um, it's, it's almost like you were chosen. Exactly. You were the yeah, chosen one, in a way, <laughs> right? In a weird way. And then he was, you know, I mean, I have so much personal home footage. I mean, that's a crazy thing. Like he, right. <laughs> you know, he's in all this footage and these pictures. I mean, you'll be astounded when you see the film how much material I have. And, you know, I think now, like, what was he thinking? Like, I mean, I just think it's that thing. It's like that movie, Catch Me If You Can. Like, they just don't think they're ever going to get caught, you know? Right. I mean, it's like this brazen, arrogant narcissism. Like, they really don't, they really think they're smarter than everybody else. Right. Um, But, yeah, once the film comes out, then I'm just, you know, focused on having a happy, normal life. (laughs) (laughs) Finally, right? Yeah, my (laughs) daughter and, you know, my work and just being happy and... All the things that I love, and I mean, and that's it. I mean, I I do feel uh, stronger, and then you are a ever lot before. stronger. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you very much. <laughs> well, so I have another and question. I hope, <laughs> I hope maybe that somehow I can inspire you know other women, other people, um, if they're able to to speak up about you know situations either like this or that are negative or abusive in some way. I mean, there are a lot of really, really good reasons people don't speak up, you know, and which I understand and respect. Um, it's really difficult to do. And, 
you know, if there are other people involved in all kinds of things, but, you know, maybe if I can, you know, like you said, Ashley, if it happened to me, you know, it really can happen to anybody. And if I can somehow help someone else either try to get out of a situation or pay attention to her gut or his gut or speak up about something, then, you know, then that means a lot to me too. You know, it's it's sort of a twofold thing. It's one, exposing him, and one, hopefully inspiring other people. So I have a two-part two, question. Oh, <laughs> Okay. Two parts. Fire away. <laughs> uh, so what are your thoughts on love these days? And uh, if you knew going in that things would end bad, would you go through it again? Oh, wow. Nobody's ever asked me that one before. Um, the first one, you know, look, uh, you know me, Kay. I'm, I'm a romantic. <laughs> she is the Hopeless most romantic, romantic person on heart. earth. <laughs> I would marry I her. I have been. I always will be. That hasn't changed. I mean, I'm not bitter at all, and my heart is still very open to love. I hope to have love again in my life someday, um, and I would never allow him, you know, to change me in that way. I'm I'm a little hesitant. You know, it's not easy for me to trust people, obviously, but I'm not I'm not negative. I'm not bitter. I'm not shut down to it. Um, I still believe in love. I still, you know... And my heart is still open. Mm-hmm. Um, that's awesome. On the that's second question, cool. that's that's a hard one. I mean, how do you? You mean if somebody had literally said to me, "This is what's going to happen"? Well, <laughs> no. I, I go mean, we well, had so many incredible experiences, and they were mm. life changing mm. experiences. I mean, would you have given all that up to just be normal life? None of this happened. You know what I'm saying? Do you feel I like? Think this- the only the only way I can answer that is this goes back to the fact that however you want to phrase it that if I was somehow chosen for this or if this was destiny right which the word destiny is so ironic because he used to always talk about how it was destiny that we met and and I think it was even on our wedding website I wrote this whole thing about how it was destiny that we met because we I was doing the story about this beautiful little Korean girl that was getting one of his transplants and. Mm. We always said it was because of Hannah, her name was Hannah, and that we met. And Hannah's favorite color was yellow. And this is how twisted this whole thing gets. <laughs> so we had all these, the girls in my wedding were wearing yellow dresses because of Hannah. I was having yellow flowers everywhere for Hannah. And so we always talked about how it was destiny, but now I think the irony of that is <laughs> that wasn't the destiny. Psych! <laughs> the destiny was that I was going to shine a light on him. So... Which is also um, yellow, a hue of yellow. Yeah, it was true. Funny. That's a good point. Um, so in that way, yeah, as painful and awful as it was, I would go through it all again if that's if that's you know what my role is and that's what I was supposed to do. And I I feel good about it. I had you know I had some beautiful memories and experiences at the beginning. I mean, I was walking on cloud nine. I was just like blissfully happy, and you know. Even as badly as it turned out in the end, that doesn't take those away from me. I I experienced some things that some people will never get to experience. I'm very lucky, you know, beautiful trips, incredible romance. And, you know, um, you can't just just knock that. It was nice at the time. It It was wonderful. I was blissfully, I mean, literally blissfully happy. Like, I was glowing happy. Um, <laughs> well, so the reason I say that is because, you know, a lot of people would wallow in the the negativity of it all and not recognize that they had these really incredible experiences along the way. 
Yeah, that just shows a lot about your character and who you are as a person that you're able to still just, see the good. Yeah, take take what you could and make this a lesson and a, a an experience that can possibly benefit other people. I mean, that says a lot about who you really are as a yeah. person. Thank you. Thank you. Um I mean, I, I could, you know, I don't see the point in, in dwelling on the negative. And also, this just goes, this really isn't about me. This is about his patients, you know, and this is about the medicine and the medical lies. I mean, that has, you know, far-reaching impact, you know, on science and on this, this groundbreaking field of regenerative medicine that had so much hope. I mean, he's done a lot of damage, you know. Yeah. Um, and... What you know, I one way or another, I always knew I was going to be okay. I mean, there were, as Karen knows, there were some difficult, dark days. I mean, it wasn't easy to pull myself up off the ground, but you know, I wasn't about to let him knock me down. Um, <laughs> That's never. my girl. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and even you know, it's funny. He gave me all this jewelry, and there's one ring that he, you know, a lot of my friends were like, "Oh, get rid of it," you know, bad karma and all this stuff. And there are a lot of things that he gave me that I did get rid of. Um, very happily. I mean, he left a whole closet full of gorgeous Italian clothes, beautiful. He had impeccable taste. And I, I shipped all of them off to, to one of my friend's sons in Australia who happened to be the same size. So, oh, wow. Well. <laughs> um, I was happy to do things like that. But there's one ring he gave me that's this beautiful blue ring that I always really liked. And I still wear it because I think, in fact, I think you see it sort of throughout the film because it's like, you know what? It's a beautiful ring. I like it. I don't associate it with him. I'm like, you know, that's one thing I got out of it that I can keep. Why not? I'm going to sell everything else, though. Might as well. So, and I have some beautiful dresses. I don't know where the heck I'm ever going to wear them, but I have beautiful red carpet dresses. <laughs> that's right. Well, you never know. You might need them for the red carpet. Yes, definitely. <laughs> You're on the road. And, you know, and those were, he never saw those. You know, those were custom made for me. And I think, you know, why shouldn't I keep them? He never saw them. He didn't know what they looked like. So I don't associate those with him either. Um, you know, those are mine. And so I'm going to keep them. <laughs> Very cool. Well, we are so, so grateful, grateful to you for being on our show. I would love it if you could just tell everybody when, where, how they can watch. It's thank you. Thanks for, and really, thanks for having me. I, I really appreciate it. We love it. you. It was awesome. Oh, I love <laughs> you back. <laughs> it's um, airing on Investigation Discovery at uh, 8 o'clock on Valentine's Day, ironically. Of enough, course. <laughs> February 14th. Um, so 8 o'clock Eastern. And it's also being simulcast on the web at the same time live on IDGO. There, um, I think you have to get the app. I'm not exactly sure how that works. Um, <laughs> but you can look it up on Investigation Discovery. Um, and then there will be, um, I did an interview with Dr. Oz. Um, talking about the show that will air um, that same day. Um, you'd have to check local listings for Dr. Oz in your market, but that'll be a, sort of a preview to the show airing that day. And by the way, um, I looked, then, it's one thirty-five a.m. in Michigan on ABC. Oh, no. <laughs> if you're awake. <laughs> Dr. Oz, really? Otherwise, DVR. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Oz. Um, wow. Yeah, and then there'll be other interviews, and then it'll be available on the web afterwards. But the, the, the premiere of it is on Investigation Discovery at 8 o'clock Eastern on Valentine's Day. So. Well, just so you know, we're Either. all getting together and watching it and eating we're Chinese a, food. We're having a family <laughs> party. <laughs> I love it. I can't wait. We'll have to we'll have to FaceTime or something. Yeah. We're having a screening party here in New York. so That's going to be oh. good. Yeah. Very cool. 
Well, I tell we... everybody to watch, and um, it's pretty. I mean, even it's funny because I even I watch it, and I'm like, this is nuts. You right. know, I mean, it's my <laughs> Whose life, life is like, this? <laughs> this is just freaking nuts. You know, it's crazy. It's a crazy story. It's just the detail is insane. Well, and the thing is, it's not like he was asking you for money like a lot of these stories. No, the guy, you know, no, they're asking you for things. Yeah, so. which is another strange question. Like, what was his motivation or goal in it? You know, because he was. He was really good to me. He was really good to my daughter. He was, you know, and good to my friends. You know that, you know, and he, that's the thing that's so, so confounding, you know, I mean, but somehow I think it was feeding his ego. That's part of the narcissism. And now I realize a lot of these elaborate surprises, you know, that he pulled weren't, it wasn't about me at all. It was about feeding his ego. Oh, Oh, sure. Yeah. But I do think that he loved you. I really think he surprised himself and fell really in love with you. And didn't expect A lot of to. my friends think that, and I, that's a really hot topic of debate, because if you talk to experts, a lot of them will tell you that sociopaths, if that's what he is, are Not capable. actually incapable of feeling real love, that they know mm. how to act like they're in love, but they don't really feel it. Now, you, you'll hear a lot of different opinions on that, and I've had some heated discussions with people about that, because everybody, everybody that met him and saw us together especially my family and people like you, my close friends, just, just refuse to believe that he didn't love me. I mean, they just find it impossible. And I think he loved me. In whatever way he's capable of, I, I do think he loved me. Well, you've been with, you know, you've been married before, so you know what love feels like. And so, I mean, when you were kissing him, did you feel that love? You felt it, right? Oh, my God, yeah. The, I mean, the, it was an intense connection and the romance was intense and he i mean he 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 was incredibly devoted you know to me um see i don't think you can really fake that yeah i a lot of people have said that yeah and maybe you're right maybe he wasn't expecting you know i mean we could we could speculate about this for days right you know oh Um, my goodness <laughs> well, awesome. I was a big fan until all of this. Just yeah. so you know, yeah. I did like Paolo a lot. Her computer password was even like Italy, right. whatever the year was. Oh, like, it was? yes, no, that's right. No, but it was two years before all of this went down. I changed my mm-hmm. passwords to July Italy eleven, and that's literally right. that was the that. exact day of your wedding in Italy. How weird is that? I that was so crazy. That. Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is it didn't work out. So, like, what was the point of that whole crazy serendipity? Maybe it was like, uh, I don't know. Who, for, foreshadowing. Who fucking knows? Who <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I'm kind of foreshadowing, but um, <laughs> warning signal, I don't know. Right, um, right. <laughs> yeah. Right, like somehow I was supposed to warn you or something. Warn me, right? Who knew? Don't do it. I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't. Oh, no, no, no. I wasn't on. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you got caught up in this whole mess. I'm sorry any of my friends and family got caught up in this. I'm whole just sorry mess I didn't meet Obama. That's all. Or John Legend. I know. John Legend. <laughs> that was Dang a big it. disappointment for me. I know. Like I didn't care about you. I just wanted to hear John Legend singing for me. That's right. That's right. And maybe dance with you. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Well, he's got a vivid imagination. You got to hand him that. I'll tell you. Wow. Detail, detail. So much detail. Wow. Crazy. Well, I can't wait to see um, the, Me too. The, the movie, the film. Me too. I can't wait to see all the things I didn't know. Yeah, this is going to be I awesome. feel like yeah, I was okay. there along the way, but I know there's stuff that I'm just going to be, wow. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I forgot I had never told you about the crazy sniper thing. So, <laughs> yeah, I would have slapped you across the face on that one. <laughs> Wake up! <laughs> oh, I did. Believe me. Believe me, I did. I was like, okay, <laughs> game uh, over. Right. <laughs> Well, thanks again. Thank you we so love much. you. We can't wait till your Thank show. You guys. Tune in, thanks check it out. I think this podcast is amazing. I love it. I love you guys together. I love the I love the show and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, Have a great night. We're gonna Thank call you. we're gonna FaceTime with you. Don't forget. Okay. All right. <laughs> You're on. All right. Take thanks, it easy. Okay. Bye, love you. Bye. Bye. Wow, that was awesome. I know. Can you believe that story? I that know. It is so crazy. I can't even wait to see it. Yeah. Well, it's- just if you guys missed it, on February 14th, Valentine's Day, uh, at what time? 8 o'clock p.m. On Investigation Discovery, and that's Eastern time. So if you're oh, right. Pacific time, you got to got three hours. That's right. We have behind. a lot of listeners on the Pacific Coast. We do. Lots of – from uh, West Coast people. <laughs> Our West Coast peeps. (laughs) All right. Well, um, if you guys need to connect with us, we're on Facebook at Absolutely No Filter Podcast. Or you can email us if you have any ideas of shows or thoughts or something you'd like uh, like us to talk about. If you're a really um, incredible, interesting person, you want to be a guest, just let us know. Uh, So our email is absolutelynofilterradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And you can uh, tweet us at ANF Podcast. Perfect. At Twitter. Tweet. <laughs> tweet, tweet. <laughs> All right. Well, we will see you guys next week. Have a wonderful rest of your week. Okay. Don't forget. Check it out. It's going to be great. Peace out, guys. Peace out.